We are SC Podcast Sunday Morning Cornerback Edition, Gary Pasquitz and Daryl Rideau. And, uh, Daryl, th- this is going to be a uh, tough podcast to get through because uh, of how stunning and punch of a gut uh, this game was to all Trojan fans. You and I are sitting here trying to talk and get ready for it, and we're getting exasperated saying, where do you go with this one? But let's start off at the top, just as we're sitting here right now on Sunday morning and what your initial feelings are after that football game. You know, Gary, going into any football season, especially when you're at USC, you oftentimes identify and circle more so than any other opponent who your true natural rivals are. When you're being recruited, you know if you're coming to USC that the Notre Dame game embodies more than just a game on the calendar. That The week of the Notre Dame game, Gary, is beyond next the next competition up or we're taking it one game at a time. No, there is a certain emphasis, a certain gravitas to how you prepare and emotionally get ready to embrace a true battle, a true competition. And going into this game in South Bend, I summoned my old experience, my old demons from 1999 to 2002 when under the the the, uh, reign of Paul Hackett first and Pete Carroll, my tenure at SC, I went one and three. So I know the significance of this game and what it means to be in this battle. When at the bottom of a kickoff return, you got linebackers and, and special teams defenders putting their cleats in your thighs to, to slow you down. When When you have to go through and embrace that type of physicality, and that type of subtlety in between plays, you know that you need to be mentally jacked up and prepared for this game, regardless of what happened in the previous six weeks, Gary. And I led on that monologue to say this. I did not see a team that was mentally prepared to compete against a rival of this caliber. And uh, I don't think you're the only one saying that today, Daryl. I think that's a completely accurate statement on your part, and and you lived it. Um, Let me give you some words from another former player, Ricky Ellison, and he he put this post up on Facebook last night. Uh, There was no fight in fight on tonight. Uh, He goes, there are no excuses. This is SC Notre Dame. You play through injuries, bad calls, bad breaks. You play with heart and never let up and bring it each and every down. That is USC football and we did not see that tonight. You know, I mean, he couldn't have put it any better. I, I, I almost got the sense that this was a fighter who was spunt, who had dead legs. Really. Because mm-hmm. what what we experienced was the never-ending story of the same type of miscues in the first half, rearing his ugly head, and reenacting the same scene over and over and over and over again. So from a systemic standpoint of the center exchange to quarterback, okay, I, the, the question that I'm going to pose and I hope that we're able to dissect is, is this a situation where it's, it's a player getting too amped up for the game or is it the, is it the matter of because of the heroics of, the offense is led by Sam Darnold at the end of games, closing off and, and pulling out victories. Is that masking a systemic issue that doesn't appear to be corrected? Or 
is the situation not correctable? And if, if and if it's the latter, then there's a fundamental issue with this team that we may not see corrected until it's too late. And, and what's really amazing about that, Daryl, is you, you look at that first possession for the Trojans. And, and I want to go back even a step. One of the reasons I think this is hurting so much with what happened last night is how things were looking into the game. This really was shaping up. Hey, this is another. This is a game when both teams are good. Um, we haven't had that since 2009, where both teams were, were, were yeah. ranked like that. If you're, so it, it, it felt good, and you felt something different with the Trojan family, the way uh, they traveled back for the game, the way that the energy was coming into the game. You really were looking for that good old-fashioned SC Notre Dame game. And from the Trojan side, uh, it, it was cert- certainly deflating. But let's look at that from the very beginning. You come out, Notre Dame punts after you hold them on the first series. You get the ball on their side of the field, Daryl. Right. You've got the ball on the 43-yard line, a chance to pounce on them in South Bend, and you have that happen. Um, And you know know what's the most demoralizing thing about the center exchange on the first offensive play? And I think that that really was the start of the 49-14 route by Notre Dame. It's the fact that teams like USC and other college teams throughout throughout, you know, the United States, they practice in script at least the first 20 to 25 plays that they want to run, they rehearse, they feel very confident about. And when you line up on your first play, oftentimes that is the best play that you want to show in a sequence of events. And in, pre, in, in, in pregame, center quarterback exchange, there is no excuse for week seven into a season and over probably close to 10,000 exchanges between quarterback to center that this is still, we are still talking about this issue and it has become a mental distraction for this team getting off to a crisp and clean start. Their wounds oftentimes are self-inflicted and they're compounded by trying to make the play instead of just doing the rehearsed play. And what I mean by that is every play is not designed to score touchdowns or make highlights. Some plays are just routine to try to figure out, change position, um, field position, things of that nature. And what we're seeing far too often is, Gary, beyond just that, that first play, it's personnel decisions, putting key players in different positions that they're probably not accustomed to being in under bright lights. Case in point. You make on a you know on a week like this, the coaching staff led by Clay Helton uh, decided to make and um, is it John Baxter who's a special teams coordinator mm-hmm. decided to make a wholesale change at the punt return position. And on paper, you're probably looking at it like, okay, you need a spark, you need to manufacture some more production. So let me go ahead and just put someone like Jackie Jones, Jack. Jack Jones at the position, who is a big play, you know, has big play capability. But with big play also comes the risk of mistakes. Because you're on the road, you're in an element where you may not be accustomed to dealing with those type of situations. And at practice, Gary, if I'm seeing at practice the inconsistency of of, of, of that at that position, and I'm watching you 
go high risk, high reward on the road where that's probably an area you just need to be conservative, then I'm going to take issue with the coaching staff not taking into consideration who their personnel is and how that also impacted this game. That that was an interesting one. There was obviously a lot of talk last week in the last couple of weeks a, is there going to be a change at the punt return spot? A lot of USC fans not thrilled with what a JNA was doing. Um, and when there wasn't a change at the Utah game, did not think it would take place against Notre Dame. And the number one reason is just what you're saying. You're not going to make a change when the first game, you know, your first time you're going to put that guy out there is on the road in South Bend. Right. Um, probably not what you're going to do. But that is what was done. Um, and like well, you say, say, not, this, not okay. to say predictable results, but we've seen those results on the practice field from Jack. Right, right, right. And I'm not taking anything away from his talent, okay? No, sir. Um, no, sir. Because at the corner position, I think by and far he is the most improved and the, mo- the, the greatest surprise out of any player at any position this year. And it's only because of the preseason remarks by his defensive coordinator, Clancy Pendergast, amongst others, where can we trust you? Can we trust you to do your job? And if trust was an issue then, and what I've been able to see at the times that I've gone to practice um, uh, with him fielding catches, if, if that sample size isn't enough, why are you putting him in that element on the road? That goes back to attention to details, and that appeared to be lacking in a game of this magnitude when this game was always all about attention to details. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, that 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 was a that was a decision that I was scratching my head about, no doubt. But let, let me get a quick one on special teams as long as we're here. Um, at the end of the game, Daryl, SC executed a punt, and the ball was down inside the five yard line, bouncing around, and, and Marvell Tell picked it up and allowed his momentum to carry him into the end zone. But it would have been real easy for him. He had a yard or two to spare would have been real easy for him to kick the ball back out. He carried it into the end zone and then acted surprised when the referee said, no, the rule is when the ball crosses the goal line, ball out to the 20. Yeah. that uh, We just talked about attention to details, right? Exactly. You know, when, when things go bad, it, it, it just seems to exploit all of the team's weaknesses. And that's another situation where those things are usually rehearsed on a Friday. When you're scripting through situational football and in and, and, and his dress rehearsal, it is no excuse when you have as much experience as you have and you're damn near a captain, close enough to be a captain if you're not. Sure. You're basically you're a, respected a vocal, vet. respected veteran. There you go. Okay? You can't make those kind of mistakes. I don't care what the score is because if you're making it then, you'll make it later. And that's the, so I guess if I'm looking at the totality of this game, Notre Dame coming off of a bye, we're licking their chops, anticipating a dogfight. And what they got was they, they, hit, they hit SC, and this team did not have a counterpunch to respond. Why? Why do you think that? Okay, if you want to make the argument that they have no bye weeks, you can't make that argument because they already know that. So if you can't manufacture, if you can't figure out a way to get a little bit more sleep, get a little bit more rest so that you are sharp and bring this fight to the road, put teams away when you're supposed to put teams away, then you're going to find yourself spent 
when you need to draw into that emotional uh, database. So we have every right tonight, today, Gary, to question what was the mental philosophy or the mental game plan going into this game. Were you aware that you were going up against your, your a rival who wanted revenge, who seek revenge from a year previous when you blew them out, you know, 45 to 27? You don't think that those veterans, those juniors and seniors that are returning, remember what that felt like? So I'm I'm very shocked that this team was not as polished as they needed to be when both teams were ranked with one loss coming into this game. I'm going to throw out a couple numbers, and I'm going to talk about a point that you made a couple weeks ago. Um, Notre Dame, 377 yards rushing. USC 31. Uh, Daryl, that's an average of 8-point yards per rush versus 2.5. You had talked about a couple weeks ago, okay, there's all the injuries at various places, and and I'm going to say this once in the podcast. Completely understand the reality of what was going on on the USC defensive line at nose tackle. Understand that. You were down to your four-string guy who started the season, a guy who was a red shirt until a couple years ago, and you were banged up along the interior, and you had two true freshmen on the offensive line. That's the last time we're going to say that in this podcast, but that, that, that is what it is. But you had talked about a couple weeks ago saying, with all the injuries, with whatever, what I want to see is the commitment to the run. That's something you can control on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to give you something right here, Daryl. After Sam's fumble and, and they convert into seven points, Notre Dame goes up seven zip. USC gets the ball right there. Four of the five plays on the next driver passes. Well, passes, yeah. And a punt. You talk about the commitment to the run. You just had a turnover, and there's a chance to start establishing the run. Daryl, I think this is people's problems with the USC. One of the problems in recent weeks where is that commitment to the run? The timing of the commitment to the run, when to do that, that touch and feel in a football game. To right. me, that was a perfect example. After a turnover, start running the football, and that's not what happened. And, and even if it doesn't go well, you continue to run the football to establish and, and, and break up the interior part of Notre Dame's defensive line. Why? Because you're on the road, and you need to establish a rhythm for your team. This team is not predicated past first and allow for the rest of its offense to develop. Because by the time that they start to have success, and I'm referring to USC's offense, when they have a little bit of success passing the ball, it's as though they become enamored by their ability to throw into tight windows. That's high risk. I don't know about you, but I like my stock, I like my portfolio of stocks and bonds to be balanced. Give me something a little bit more conservative that I can rely on, especially on the road, when you know that you're in a dogfight and your offense needs that type of confidence that it felt in the second half of the Utah game. But this is not a game, Gary, where it's okay or acceptable for Coach Helton and this coaching staff to just throw this tape away and not take advantage of coachable moments. And that coachable moment starts with the the preparation with the coaches. If we are going to commit to a running a power running attack to get this offense back in rhythm, then where are the packages? Where is the 12 personnel with two tight end sets? Where is the the, 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 the fullback, you know, um, in the package? Instead of going one tight end, one running back, which is 11 personnel and the rest receivers, show us that you have it committed and display it early on in the sequence 
so that this offense can develop the rhythm that it experienced and the confidence that it 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 um it felt against Utah in the second half. But until they get back to that, Gary, this offense is going to be anemic. It's going to continue to struggle and continue to find itself in high-pressure situations where turnovers are a possibility. Oh, those turnovers hurt last night. I'm going to throw out a statement to you, Daryl, uh, that T. Martin made after the game last night. Um, he was asked about uh, the offense and why isn't the offense getting better, and he said he disagreed with that. He said, we're improving in different areas every week. What? What does that mean? I, I, I'm being rhetorical. Okay, I don't see it. I don't see it. I see this offense bailing itself out or this team bailing itself out in the second half when they play with an urgency that should they should start games with. So if there is improvement, okay, and then it's very subtle because right now I think that they're taxing this team by by sequencing calls that you would normally sequence for a crew that's been together for three or four years, or two or three years, I should say, in, in college football, a group that has chemistry and continuity. When your team does not have chemistry and continuity, the easiest thing to do is to to learn how to run block before you sit back on skates and, and you're trying to pick up these switches on, on these stunts uh, by the, by the uh, defensive line when you're in a pass-blocking formation as an offensive line. So if you are making improvements, then – Show us by committing to a sequence of plays that would give everybody in the stadium the confidence and the assurity that that you that you're not just reacting to what the opponent is doing that you're actually dictating to your opponent how you are going to attack them. That is the part that we are not seeing that we should be seeing from a coaching staff that has been together for now, as long as they've been now okay let, let let's flip it over Daryl let's talk your side of the ball for a moment. Um, 377 rushing yards. Don't, don't get me wrong. J- Josh Adams is good. I get that. Um, 377 rushing yards, Daryl. Gary, they're not. They're not that good. Okay, that's, they're good, but they're not that's that good. Point. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you know. I mean, you, you go up against Texas, who have formidable running backs. Uh, Stanford, you know, who wants to pound the ball? Utah, and you mean to tell me you're going to give up 377? Yards on the ground to Notre Dame. Eight. I mean, I know. Eight yards a rush, Daryl. There's no excuse for that, other than you're not playing with your shoulder pads low enough. Which goes back to were you prepared for the the physicality and the type of fight that that you were embracing against this team? And and I because I don't care what Clancy calls, but to a man in the game plan early in the season. You you basically took off two corners and you loaded the box with uh, nine to ten guys, and you said, "Beat me in the air." Why didn't they go to that type of a, a game plan, or at least put nine guys in the box and force that quarterback, Webbush? I believe his name was Webbush, right? Well, w- w- Wimbush, yeah. Wimbush, yeah. you know, why didn't you force him to beat you? At least try to take away their strength, neutralize their strength. So again, I just think that. They went in with the false sense of security that, despite what happens in the first half, because they deemed themselves to be a second-half team, that they were going to be able to overcome adversity. But when a te- when your opponent does not implode or self-destruct, and they force you to play clean, your mistakes rear their ugly head because you're not correcting them. 
and you're not winning at the point of attack, which leads to 377 yards. And on the offensive side, you're not demonstrating production. But you know, when you give up 377 in the game, Gary, that tells me you're not seeing enough of that type of power running game in practice to understand how to combat. So it makes sense. If your offense isn't doing it, then you're not seeing it. And if you're not seeing it, then how are you going to mentally prepare to deal with it? That's a, I think that's a big question hanging in the air these days because we're, we're out there at practice. We see it. This Whether for whatever reason, you know, NCAA rules limiting this, limiting that, I don't think that plays into everything. Uh, these are not the physicality levels of the let, – let's go back to the Pete Carroll era, the last one we've seen. And it's not just one or two people saying it. Um, where does – if you're looking – okay, let, let, let's stop for a second, Daryl, and look forward to the rest of the season. All of a sudden, this second half of the season that maybe some some people thought is not going to be as difficult, you've got Arizona State playing good football right now. Yep. Um, Arizona's found a quarterback who can run all over you. Um, and then with Rosen, if he's healthy with UCLA, you never know what happens right there. Never um, happens, yep. If you're Clay Helton right now, or if you're the USC head coach, what steps do you take? What do you do in practice this week? Or are you saying, hey, we're, we're, we're improving every week, as T. Martin said? Or do you say, hey, we're, we're, we're going to shake something up here? You know, I almost wish that T. Martin would have used that opportunity for self-reflection instead of being defensive. Because if you're defensive in the media, are you as defensive in the meeting room? Where it counts most. Or are you being brutally honest with yourself and your team? Because what I'd like to see is, a commitment back to fundamental football. Fundamental football, because that's what's, that's what's missing right now. Attention to detail oftentimes leads to poor execution when, when your spacing isn't there. So if the beginning of, of, of like the first day or two in practice, get back to the basics. Because if you get back to the basics and you clean that up, then oftentimes your talent will shine and flourish. So I don't think that they have to abandon everything that they do. You know, the sky isn't falling in that regard. But mm-hmm. if they're not taking the time to make those fundamental corrections instead of focusing on X's and O's, you know, then they're going to continue to make these type of mistakes. And I'd love to say that over the course of the year, you know, oh, that was an isolated situation. But it continues to rear its head. Therefore, it's not an isolated situation. It's a systemic problem because it's not being addressed in practice. So fundamentally, Gary, I think that that is where they need to start, and that is where they need to place their emphasis moving forward. I, I would agree with that. When, when you and I were sitting here getting ready for this podcast, one of the first things we said was, you know, this wasn't an X's and O's breakdown last night. No. You know, that, that, that's not what we need to talk about is specific X's and O's and this play and that play. Um, th- th- this was a fundamental attitude and a mindset, whatever you want to call it, walking into the USC-Notre Dame game. And, again, that, that, that's the thing that really gets me here today is, the, the Trojan family, the Trojan football program, went back in there re- seemingly ready to go, seemingly understanding what, what, what this was with the USC-Notre Dame rivalry again. And I remember several years ago on our podcast, uh, someone said, hey, who, who's ready to get into a fight? Right. Who's ready to go out there and just get into a fight? The Trojans were not last night. Notre Dame right. was. And that right now is, boy, is that recognition there of what that, rival, what that rivalry demands because it sure didn't look like it last night. It, it does. I don't care. And, you know, when they say throw records out, well, you didn't have to worry about that in this game because they were coming off of a 5-1 and one record. 
You know, mm-hmm. USC was six and one. I mean, come on. It, it, this thing had the billing of another great um, rendition of of the two thousand and what six or two thousand five, two thousand six that Bush push, or the two thousand and nine game when, when when both teams, as you as you mentioned, um, leading into the podcast, where both teams were ranked. You didn't have to worry about that. You didn't have to worry about getting your fan base jacked up to make this commitment and travel. But instead, what do we come home with? You come home with being battered, bruised, your ego just devastated right now. And then there's the question of how healthy is USC coming out of a game like this? How healthy is our quarterback, Gary? Do we know at this time? Uh, we, we don't. There was talk last night that uh, he's been battling an ankle injury since the Washington State game. That had not been reported before. But uh, he, he looked like he was hobbled. Let's talk Sam for a minute, Daryl. Um, I was looking at that game last night as, boy, th- th- this is going to be a real opportunity for Sam, no matter what has happened this year, to, to really have that Sam moment. Um, right. Instead, by the end of the game, it, it, it was the opposite. It, all the struggles, everything that seems to have gone wrong, you see it on that young man's face right now, Daryl. Um, He's carrying the weight of this program right now, and he is not operating at a slick, just gunslinger, smooth mentality like we've seen so often from Sam. No, and, that, and, right that, and, and that's the problem. That's the problem. There is a lot more on his mind because, Gary, the, two reasons why this, the, if it's a center exchange under, under center, when a quarterback's under center, that, that's one thing. But, but when you're five, three to five yards deep and that ball is being hiked to you, okay, you can tell that Sam has the weight of the world or this program on his shoulders because his eyes move subtly in that subtle movement of his eyes to see to make sure that everybody else is in place because he's constantly rotating in new bodies, okay? It's just enough to take his focus off of where it needs to be when that ball is snapped, okay? So it, you don't need to look beyond the center exchange to know that he feels like he has to play perfect in order to place everybody else in position. When you're throwing guys open, that's a problem. But it's it's a greater problem when if this coaching staff has known that he is dealing with or hobbling, okay, dealing with an, an injury and hobbling, then why aren't you taking pressure off of him when you got a dynamic running back in your backfield? I don't these get it. Are, uh, yeah, the, 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 these are valid questions, and I, I boy, are the questions swirling right now uh, from USC fans after this game. I, whether Clay Helton and the program thought that it could be at this point, uh, yes, the record says six and two, um, but there is a lot of angst after that football game, and it's a lot of sad angst from Trojan fans. Daryl, when, when it happened in the Alabama game at the beginning of last year, you, you, USC football simply doesn't get, let's call it thumped, let's call it a butt-kicking, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't happen often. Um, but, but, Gary, it, the difference between that game and this game is, at least in the Alabama game, there was fight in this team. Oh, they I, 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 until I, I, they were exhausted. I, 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 and that's how, almost the point I was making. It, this one does not, even though it just happened already, this one feels different. <laughs> but, but that's what I'm saying. Look, and, and I'm probably going to get scrutinized for this, but I'm going to say it, okay? One of the knocks on this coaching staff is that a guy like Sam Darnold has such an influence and impact on this program that it ultimately has changed the way that the fan base perceives this coaching staff. It has given them more equity, more latitude than they probably deserve. But there is a reason why, Gary, 
when a plane takes off and you're on the plane and the plane lands, that the pilot does not put the plane in autopilot. It takes control of the gear shift, and it makes sure that, it, that, the, that the plane is on course. At the beginning of games, when you know you have such a talented player, take the pressure off and you dictate to your opponent how you're going to attack them. So if you're emphasizing a power running game, then why don't you start off with that so that you can determine how this, the defense is going to attack you and then allow Sam Darnold to develop a rhythm, especially if he's coming off of an injury. That is the right thing to do regardless of how talented your quarterback is. But to rely upon him early in the, uh, the game to get you out of trouble is, is, is placing more pressure than anyone should have to be under, uh, considering all the circumstances that this offense has dealt with. That's, uh, that's well put. I remember Norm Chow used to always say about uh, Carson and Liner, get him, in, get him in an easy rhythm early. Get him a couple quick, quick, quick short passes early. Just get him in a rhythm early. Uh, USC was not in a rhythm last night. Uh, didn't happen from the first snap. Didn't happen at the end of the game, and the results are uh, are what we ended up with. Um, any final words, Daryl? No, just you know, much like the end of last game, I'm out, Gary. <laughs> I can't see I, this. I understand. For Daryl Rideau, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SE podcast. This. I understand. For Daryl Rideau, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SE podcast. <laughs>